And the death angel killed every firstborn of Egypt. From the cradle to the manger, there was death. This would have been in their mindset. But in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived, and you, you read about it in Scripture, there was blood upon the doorposts and upon the lintels of, of Israelite homes, and it signaled to the death angel that they could pass by because this was a home that had heard the word of God, and they were spared. Now let's read. I'm glad that... Uh, I'm. I'm glad that Irene read from John because I'm going to read from Matthew. Same story that she read this morning. Chapter 21 and verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem, this is the disciples, and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt buyer. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right, right away. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Amen. The Passover is what was in the memory of every Jew as they flocked into Jerusalem. The historians tell us by the hundreds of thousands from all parts of the Roman Empire to celebrate their own D-Day, Deliverance Day for them. As many of you know, and if you've been following any news this morning and this weekend, there are huge commemorations today at Vimy Ridge. So many Canadians lost their lives there in World War, in World War I. Canada accomplished what other Allied armies had failed failed to do. And we honor those who gave their lives for that. They did it because they prepared a different way. And as we come to Palm Sunday, recognize that Jesus had made preparations for this exciting moment in his journey. Three years of ministry had brought Jesus from the heights of popularity to the point where in some circles he was a very hated man. The Jewish elders had conspired against him. Unlikely people had come together in an alliance. They had secured the help of the Sadducees and the Herodians in their plot to kill him. People who normally didn't talk to each other became friends. It would have been very discreet of Jesus if he had slipped very quietly into Jerusalem, 
performed his act of worship as all of the other Jews would do, and left just as quietly as he arrived. But this Passover would be his last. But it would be the beginning of something that was, that was frighteningly new for him. Jesus Christ had a divine agenda, and, and he was nearing the most critical issue on the agenda. If you read very early in John's Gospel, back as far as chap, chapter 8, he says, The Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, be betrayed into the hands of those who are sinful, and be crucified on a cross. The Passover would result in the actual sacrifice of the one who we sang about this morning called Lamb of God. And this would be the, the culmination of all that God desired in order to bring people back to him. When we go back to Palm Sunday, we're talking about our own journey. This is the beginning of something that changes your life and changes mine. This would, this would be a moment to remember just as slaves came out of bondage in Egypt. The taskmasters of sin in our lives had dished out enough punishment upon us as people. And it's time for redemption. God's time is there. It's time now for a sacrifice to be offered once and for all. No lamb would ever have to be slain again as a way of getting rid of sin. On the Sunday before Passover, Jesus sent two of his disciples into Bethphage on a strange mission. They're to find a donkey and her foal, a colt, and they're tied, they're tied, tied together for obvious reasons. They're to take the animals and bring them, bring them to Jesus. And he says, if anyone questions you, they're to give them a password. And the password is, or their response is to be, the master needs them. Now there are people who attach some kind of mystic formula to this. As though the owner was struck by some kind of special revelation at that moment. But I'd rather think today that Jesus knew this event would come in his life. And he knew what he was going to do on this day. He planned for it. He had special friends in this region. Especially in Bethany. That's where Mary, Martha and Lazarus lived. It's close to this. And Jesus often stayed at their home as you know. And this man kept an animal, or both of these animals, for the day when Jesus would send for it. And Jesus had prearranged it. And they knew this, and he assured his disciples, when they says the master needs them, he will send them right away. There's a special sig a significance in what Jesus chose to ride upon for this last ride into Jerusalem. Both Mark's and Luke's gospel record that no one had ever ridden this colt. It's unbroken. And for the colt, this was a new experience. A small animal that's being ridden by an average size adult male. But for the world, it's the dawn of a brand new day. There's newness in every aspect of this story today. God has seasoned some of his most noteworthy acts or solemnized important events with something that's totally new. The idea comes up in the, new in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7, in this example. Now then, get a new cart ready with two cows that have calved and have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart. 
but take their calves away and pen, and pen them up. The cart to transport the Ark of the Covenant had to be new. The cows had to have calved, but never yoked to be suitable on this occasion to pull this magnificent burden. And to me it points out nothing special about that except for the fact that sacred duty always calls for newness. We need newness of life before we can presume to do a work for, uh, for the Lord in this world. And for Jesus to accomplish what he wants through his church today, first of all, he has to renew us. That's the reason why we call people to repentance. We call people to constant renewal in their Christian lives. Because God demands that freshness, that cleansing. If Israel had received him, they would have become a new, a new nation. Instead, as Jesus was preparing to do this, and Irene read it this morning, plots were going on behind his back to kill the Prince of Peace, but it would also mean desolation would be brought down upon their own heads and their own nation. The religion that tried to destroy him was shuttled to every corner of the world when Titus destroyed Jerusalem just a few years later. But you see, it's true for us. God wants to put... New wine in new bottles. And so he says, if any man be in me as a new creature, he changes us in order to use us. Jesus was not so much interested in making a show before throngs of people at Passover time. That's not what he, he was about. This is not showmanship. His actions were calculated, they were deliberate, and they were biblical. For Jesus of Nazareth to ride into Jerusalem was a very powerful scriptural and historical lesson to the people of his day. Jerusalem is, really means the city of peace. Now kings rode horses as a symbol of their military might. Jesus had not come to bring a military coup over the Romans. Rather, his gesture is only understood against a backdrop of an Old Testament prophet named Zechariah, who writes in chapter 9 and verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Zion. See, your king comes to you. Righteous. Look at the description that comes forward here. Your king comes to you, righteous and having sal salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is the prophetic dimension of Jesus' action when he rides here. He made the claim to the entire nation that he's the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the one Isaiah called the Prince of Peace. This is a dramatic announcement of what he came to do and who, who he is. Riding the donkey, Jesus announced and demonstrated that he's not come to create a revolution by force. But he's come to initiate a kingdom of peace. Jesus' last ride into the city was to awaken people to their need to allow him to bring the peace they desired and they needed. And even today, Jesus comes to your life and to my life to bring us peace. And it's tough to find at times. How many people today live in fear of something? Look at our prayer request this morning. And you know that there are things to be concerned about. 
How many people live in bondage to some sin or some confining habit? How many people have no hope for tomorrow whatsoever? How many people live without the assurance that God's ultimately in control? And some lose control because of all of these factors. You see, there are people who want Jesus to ride a white stallion into their lives and establish a military reign. Jesus, tell me what to do. Force me to live better. Make me a better person and and establish some discipline inside of me. But I don't think that's the way he works. When Jesus rides into your life and into mine, the same way he rode into Jerusalem, he rides upon humility. The only time you see Jesus act in a violent way is when he changes the whole economy to wrest the control of the devil away from him and to establish himself as the one who saves. In accepting the king of peace, we have the only liberty we can possibly find. But our pathway to liberty is the same as his. It's humility. He comes to cleanse us. Cleanse our temples, which he's done in Jerusalem at this point in time as well. To make us a habitation of the spirit, which Paul says we're to become. See, Palm Sunday is filled with promise. For you and for me, the day that we gather here today and we commemorate something that happened a couple of thousand years ago is filled with promise for us. But it contains a notable last act. This was the day Jesus announced the character of his kingdom. He's trying to prepare people for a different Passover because God's lamb is about to be offered for sins. In fact, a transition is taking place. Jesus becomes the means of peace with God, not the blood of an ordinary lamb. He's the only means of being made holy. And that's why Palm Sunday is so important. It celebrates the real start of the Easter story. It initiates the countdown of the triumph of the cross, the glory of of the resurrection, and the eventual outpouring of the Spirit of God would have been great anticipation for Jesus during this feast. Jerusalem was alive with what he was doing. It's so filled with people. He'd met openly with hostile teachers of the law. If you read the chapters around it, he had put aside their religious arguments against them. He chastised them for their pious self-righteousness. He punctuated his sermons with miracles of healing and with parables that cut them to the heart and turned so many people into haters of God. He cleansed the temple. His ride into the city is courageous. The throng that came out to meet him showed us powerful appeal. But as we heard from scripture today, it also convinced the authorities, we've got to end this life. It really put the sentence of death upon him. Isn't it ironic to you as well that Jesus goes it rise into Jerusalem to bring freedom at the same time as they're conspiring against him to end his life? See, the word and actions of the multitude have become so famous. We sing it in our songs and we sang it this morning and, and it evokes so many things in my mind. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Hosanna in the highest were the shouts that rang out on that particular occasion. But it's not the first time these actions took, took place or the first time these words were spoken. They were words that were borrowed. They come from Psalm 118, 25. And here's the way they sound in the Psalms. It says, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. Hosanna in the highest. The house of the Lord, the highest place. But the word we remember best is Hosanna. And the two words come from Psalm 118 and 25. And when you look at them, it means save us now. Very simply. When they're saying... When they're crying out Hosanna, sometimes saying it in the Hebrew or the Aramaic is is not really what we need to hear. We don't need to hear the mob say Hosanna because we somehow mistranslate it and think they're shouting praises. But what what they're saying is actually a request. Save us. Save us now. Not to be translated as hail or high, far more than just a word to greet Jesus. These words represent the cry of an oppressed people for for deliverance. And when you say Hosanna in the highest, you have to translate it in the following way. Let even the angels in the highest heights of heaven cry on to God, save now. That's what it means. See, it's only days before If you back up with me for a moment. Jesus was nearing Jericho. A blind beggar found out that Jesus was passing by. Cried out at the top of his lungs and would not be quiet. And here's an isolated example of this. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. But his cry is really Hosanna. That's what he's saying. Lord, save me now. And now it's not being shouted by one individual. It's being shouted by a cheering multitude. It's a witness of recognition. The blind man knew there was a savior for him. And he was not about to miss his opportunity. They said, Jesus has no time for you. And Bartimaeus cried the louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's a Hosanna moment for him. And he doesn't miss what's happening. The multitude, I believe, had caught sight of the true king while the reminders of Rome's dominance were all around them. Rome would have laughed at this. Here's a humble Galilean who speaks with a strange kind of accent. A place where no prophet ever comes from, the Jewish leaders believed. Riding in on a donkey while a multitude throws down their clothes and throws down branches of trees and cries out for them to save them. It's quite a, it's quite a scene. And I could see why a soldier would have laughed. A centurion who had been on guard at the gates with his contingent of soldiers would have smiled at the the religious festival, because they're the conquering people. It would have been religious silliness. We can overlook this. Let them have their day. 
My father told me about working the night shift in the rail yard in Port Port Bass to go back to a ride theme for a moment. He would, with the help of an engine and, and a crew, round up rail cars around the yard to make up a train. And he'd have the place to train in the proper kind of order so that if there was something destined for Cornerbrook, it was with other things from Cornerbrook, and it all got it all got put off on a siding at the right point and in the right order. The railway yards are gone, forgotten. Well, one night, after shunting a few cars around to make up a freight train, as the diesel went to the other end of the yard, he could hear a cry. It came from a small cove before the current harbor repairs and changes had had been done, and a few fishermen tied up their boats there. He heard it again, and he ran to the edge of the wharf to investigate. He told me that there in the water was a man who would almost certainly have drowned. He'd been having a little party with his friends on board one of the boats and was the last to leave. He'd been drinking heavenly and lost his balance and fallen into the water. He couldn't swim. And the icy salt water would have quickly sapped his strength. And his cry was, save me, somebody save me. Dad says, I could hear the panic in his voice. I could hear his fear because he knew he was a goner if someone didn't come. My father found a small boat just below him tied up to the side of the, of the ladder that went down towards the water. And he got into the boat and reached the man before he slipped below the surface. Dad said when the man finally got his senses, he was so happy he tried to give him 20 bucks for saving his life. A soggy $20 bill in exchange for your life. Dad said, I don't want your money. I said, how sad that people sell themselves so cheaply and put such a a low value on life, put themselves in such mortal danger. And only when life is almost over do they cry out for some help. I'm thankful that my help arrived. I'm thankful that I heard the gospel as a young person. I'm thankful that I'm found in a place like this, surrounded by the gospel and surrounded by people who know what it means. And as we are here this morning, you've got to realize with me that the man who was in the water, if you translated his words into the Aramaic, would have been shouting, Hosanna. Save me now. Because tomorrow would have been too, too late. Another few moments would have been too late for that man. And I'm so thankful that when you call upon the name of the Lord, he's there. He needed a savior. Couldn't help himself. I'm amazed with the strength of Jesus' love. He sees his own nation floundering like a drowning man without any hope. And while they're conspiring against him, he is working towards a solution for the sin they are in themselves. And Jesus willingly gives himself to rescue us. He rides into Jerusalem and announces deliverance 
and a few people saw the sunlight break through in a day that had been dark for them before. It's so odd, isn't it, that a few days later, and we'll mark it in a few days' time, another mob, maybe some of the same people, some of the same ones who lined the roads, and maybe some of the same ones who shouted, Hosanna, also shouted, crucify him. And so they did. He became the final Passover lamb. The story goes according to plan. I shed no tears for the, for the whole event of Easter. It was God's plan. It was his way. One of the leaders said, one must die for the people. God says before the foundations of the world were laid, there was a foregone conclusion that Jesus would die for us. The offering that God himself gave and the offering that God accepted himself is the only remedy for our sins. And it appears to me today that we are faced with a similar decision today as those pilgrims were who were with Jesus at the triumphal entry. We can see him as our king, the one who brings peace, or we can see him as a mere obstacle that we have to remove from our lives. And that sort of boils humanity down into two camps. And I pray that our response will be Hosanna. I pray the response of your heart today to Christ coming to you will be Hosanna. Lord, save me now. See, Jesus' last ride was the beginning of his journey to secure our only hope. The only hope for this world, the only hope for our lives is Jesus Christ. And I pray that he's in your heart today, and if he is not, if you can't really say that Jesus Christ is your Savior, if Hosanna would be an empty word for you, then you have to do something about that. And if you're, if you're that person, you need to talk to me or talk to someone who knows Christ himself so they can lead you to an understanding of him. Easter, a wonderful time for the newness of what Jesus Christ brings. I'm going to ask the musicians to come back and we're going to sing that first Hosanna song you sang this morning again. But before we do, can we bow in prayer for a moment? While the musicians are assembling, getting ready, and I pray, I want to pray for you and pray that the Lord will bless you this Easter in an unusual way. And that you'll feel his saving strength. You'll understand on a personal level just what redemption means. Father, thank you for this wonderful season. We celebrate Christmas with such joy at your, at your coming, the incarnation. But really it is Easter that signals the greatest of all dramas. And this morning we've looked at one of the opening acts the last ride into Jerusalem.
ride of humility. And I pray that the humility that characterized the life of Jesus as he announces himself as a deliverer would be the same humility that we hold in our hearts as we bow before you in this moment. I pray that Jesus Christ, not a conqueror but a savior, would be the one we appeal to in these moments. Hosanna. Lord, save us. Hosanna in the highest. We pray, Lord, that our hearts will be, will be touched by the power of the cross, the power that is beyond us, the power of the resurrection, the power to give new life to those who cry out to a Savior. And so as we end this time of, of service today, I pray, Lord, that we will, as we sing these words, they will become heartfelt expressions of how we really feel about you. We thank you again for the opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.